0: After last week's episode with Christine Platt, also known as the Afro-minimalist, does this scenario sound familiar? You look around your house, it's full of stuff, (laughs) stuff that you don't wear. Keep it PG. (laughs) I'm trying. Stuff that you don't use, stuff that you don't need. So after binge watching the home edit, don't lie, you know you did it. You know what to do. You gather up everything in bags and boxes. And once that donate pile is big enough, you move it to the garage or outside and you're ready for the next step. But then you pause because what is the next step? Where do you take what you don't need anymore that can actually provide the most help for people who really do need these things? And we're so glad you asked. So Sarah, let me ask you, what is your go-to donation place when you've got those bags and boxes?
1: Yeah. You know, I mentioned it in the episode, but I think for so long, Goodwill was my go-to donation place because they had like one of those drive-through car drop-off places. So it felt really convenient as well as the buy nothing, like the swap sites in our community where you just basically, for people who need that object, you can just give it away. Misasha, what about you?
0: So consignment stores sometimes,
1: depending on what it is. Oh, you mean your fancy stuff? Yeah, my fancy stuff. I don't have fancy stuff.
0: (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Yes, I just slid that in there. In the Bay Area, we have something called parka who comes to your house actually and picks up household goods that they, and clothing and sometimes books that they will distribute also
1: Goodwill, and people in the community, like through Nextdoor, where you can give away stuff for free. Yeah, so a lot of great options. But what you're about to hear next is a conversation that might expand the options that you default to, or the ones that Nextdoor tells you about. Because we sat down with Sable Schultz, who's the Director of Transgender Services at the Center on Colfax in Denver, Colorado, to talk about a very different and important way in which your donations can not only make an impact, but really show someone that they matter. And so here's our ask after you listen to this episode. I mean, after you tell all your friends about this one, look up the organizations that Sable mentions, you know, do that Google search for your own city and think twice about where your donations go. Because sometimes even if it's not the easiest option, it is the most impactful. Remember that small things like adding your pronouns to your email or asking someone for theirs can make all the difference. Welcome to the Dear White Women Podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism. We're your biracial hosts, Sarah and me Sasha. Would you please introduce yourself for our audience? Definitely. So
2: I am Sable Schultz. I use she, her pronouns. I am the director of transgender services at the Center on Colfax in Denver, Colorado.
1: And so let me set the stage for why this is the follow-up episode, because Last week, we just had a really powerful conversation on the show about minimalism and what our new friend, Christine Platt, calls in her new book by the same name, Afro-minimalism. And she says it as a form of liberation, almost as protest. And so following up with that idea of minimalism, I wanted to have a conversation with you about what we can do with some of the items we no longer need in our homes. Our whole summer has been this summer of action and the little things that we can all do differently. And in particular, when we think about getting rid of things, I think many Americans, I certainly did for the longest time, instantly think about goodwill, right? It makes it easy to drop things off. Some you know, people opt for consignment stores or mail-in services. I've done all of those things. I've done those too. Yep. hundred percent.
2: Yeah. And I definitely, you know, I want to give a shout out to Denver's own Peak Thrift, which is a thrift store, which serves urban peak, which is a, uh, organizations serving homeless youth. And in estimates, right, I think the Williams Institute has estimated about 30 to 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ identified. So lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer and questioning. And so oftentimes these youth, when they come out, they may get rejected from their families, get put out on the streets. And so they turn to organizations like Urban Peak to help find support for them and find shelter. And so some organizations like Peak Thrift provide these youth the opportunity to have a retail work experience, right? So working in the thrift store as well as helping fund the organization. So that's one in terms of like sort of that thrift, goodwill sort of area that I have, I've utilized myself and prop things off and pass things on. So that's one space.
1: I just want to come back to what you said, because, you know, right now for me, I'm in, we're winding up the summer for me. I'm getting my kids ready to return to school and I'm cleaning the house. I'm like getting rid of all the old stuff. And I remember hearing someone say in Denver that we should consider options like the ones you just mentioned that'll give clothing options for, I mean, sometimes kids, but I want to just revisit that 30 to 40% of homeless children.
2: are LGBTQ, right? We're still, even though we've made so much progress, right? We see- so much amazing progress in our schools and in our education systems and our healthcare systems. There's still a lot of people who are not supportive of their kiddos coming out. And so, uh, well, you know, that number goes down eventually, right? But home, houselessness in general needs to go down, right? It's a big struggle, but definitely.
1: Yes. I like uh, that you said houselessness as well recently. I know I think I just said homeless, but I think what we talk about is unhoused and are houseless because home is a very different thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm correcting myself. See folks, we all make mistakes and we can correct ourselves.
2: I think that's a lot of, one of the things that we have to, I feel like is a really helpful skill to have developed is that kindness with ourselves, right? We're, especially as we're learning new ways to talk about experience and identity and all of that. I, in my trainings that I do, right, I mentioned the folks I make mistakes too, I forget, right? And so the best thing is to kind of correct and move on or update, right? Reminding ourselves of sort of the changes, but yeah, definitely that. Another suggestion or another thing that came to mind, right? Is so in the Denver Metro area, there is the Transgender Center of the Rockies. They have a clothing closet For trans folks who, transgender and gender diverse folks, so folks whose gender identity does not correspond with the sex that they were assigned at birth. So for some of these folks, they're making their initial foyers into stepping out as their internal identity, as who they are, their authentic selves. And so they may need a little bit of help with clothes and things like that. And so the Transgender Center of the Rockies, they have this space to sort of set up a clothing closet for to give away to folks and the center ourselves we do clothing swaps we have one that we're looking at doing at the end of September and so for that it's uh folks bring in donations folks bring in clothes that they're no longer utilizing and then we're gonna have a day where we have everything set up and folks can come in and just sort of like pick out anything that they want with them and take that on. It was an idea that I was inspired by. There was a person that used to live in the Denver metro area, Shanna Katz, who was a really powerful speaker and activist in the community. And she had sort of a large fat Zufftug clothing swap, right, for larger folks. And it was about us coming together, having a little intentional community sharing out things that we wanted to let go of and finding new treasures and that whole path and sort of like sharing of resources.
0: So I'm in the Bay Area. And so when Sarah first told me about the center, I thought that was amazing because I immediately, you know, start looking for what can I do right out in the Bay. And so, you know, you answered about five of the questions that I already had in my head when you were speaking. But, you know, having this specific donation program for transgender individuals. I'm really interested to hear, you know, sort of why that came about and how you think that really adds to, you know, a sense of community and being seen, because we're really focused and leaning hard into this community and being seen.
2: Right. So with clothing donations, right, it helps empower individuals who may not otherwise feel comfortable going out yet to conventional retail clothing outlets, oftentimes I do get connected, contacted by people asking, well, where can I go shopping? Where can I find clothes? And I'll tell you, like the really large chains at this point, the national chains, is they pretty kind of standardized in terms of being respectful around gender identity and gender expression, because they know they have to maintain these expectations throughout the nation. And so oftentimes they're good for sources, but A lot of people aren't yet comfortable with that. So having something like a clothing swap at LGBTQ center, like the center on Colfax or specific transgender center, like the transgender center of the Rockies, right? It gives the opportunity for folks to come in, pick some things out, try some things and be among other community members who also have a trans or gender diverse experience and identity and get that sort of support around yeah, this looks really good on you. This really works for you. This is, and help them get that uplifted experience they may not have gotten in other portions of their lives when it comes to looking for something that fits for them, something that they can wear. So I think that's really important. There's similar organizations that the center works with in the Denver metro area, such as the Gathering Place, which they work with similar organizations with clothing closets and things like that. And the Gathering Place specifically works with uh, women and all transgender and gender diverse people experiencing poverty and houselessness. And so for things like that, right, these direct service organizations, which may be able to provide clothing or other necessary goods to people who, who are struggling in their lives, trying to overcome these sorts of challenges around that can be really helpful. And again, without all the pressure that folks might feel like navigating a retail environment in a way that they're not otherwise familiar with, right? I think we've all had conversations around, say, for instance, clothing sizes and the inconsistencies of that, right? So for people who have been born and raised and lived their entire lives navigating that world... We're kind of used to just kind of going in and sorting things out and realizing that nothing's going to be consistent for folks who are not as used to that or not as used to clothing sizes that are different than what maybe they navigated under when they were younger and combinations. Being able to have a space where you can just kind of like sort through that and not worry about, oh my gosh, are people watching? Anything like that can be super, super helpful.
1: And please forgive me if this is a really basic question. When we're talking about clothing and people starting to navigate it, I feel like clothing surely, when you have come out, right, that's one of the first things you do. Am I right? Like, so that's where, when you're talking about navigating this new space, is clothing one of the first things that people use to start expressing their gender identity? I
2: think so. I think in a lot of ways, when I do trainings, when I go out and talk to organizations, I specifically talk about the difference between gender identity and gender expression. And so gender identity, how I explain that is when we take a moment, if we were to take away our pressure to sort of mask and appear to the outside world on the everyday, and we take away our, whether our choices to wear or not wear makeup, our hair clothes, our hairstyle choices, our clothing choices, our hobbies, our our things like that. And we were kind of a if we're alone in our own little space for a period of time, not that I remember us having any period of time where we did that for a little bit, but when we are alone in our space, we think about like, how do I relate to myself and my body? And I want, how do I want the world to relate me and see me in terms of gender? That is that gender identity piece. And so expression then is all of these other pieces that we put, put on top of that. There's a philosopher, Judith Butler, right, who talked about, gender is performance, right? It is performative. It is uh, We can tell our genders by the way that we express and perform them. Not to mean that it's insignificant, right? Like the impacts of gender on our lives constantly is a thing. But the way that people recognize us for our gender is often that expression, our clothing styles, our hairstyles, accent uh, or subdual of uh, secondary sexual characteristics, things like that. And so that ability to experiment, right, and to go out and try these different types of clothes, which become, right, a reflection of our own selves and how the world might see us or how we want to be seen in the world is really critical. And for a lot of people, right, they may not have gotten the same level or same amount of experimentation earlier on in life that they now get a chance to do once they're able to come out and more freely talk about who they are.
1: I appreciate that. And it makes me think, again, when you talk about, it's not just the youth, but when clothing is such a critical part of that gender expression and how people may not have access to clothing that fits their gender identity, it makes me really think about where do I want my clothes? Where do I want my family's clothes to go? And this seems a lot more meaningful than just sort of Wherever is easiest to get rid of. And I really appreciate that about this conversation. You know, you mentioned the center a few times. I would love to learn a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit more about the center?
2: Yeah. So the center on Colfax is located in Denver, Colorado. uh, We're currently located at Lafayette and Colfax. Uh, Colfax is one of the longest avenues, I think it's still the longest avenue in the United States for those that are super nerdy about these weird history pieces. It started out about 45 years ago in response. So we have a park in fairly close to us called Cheeseman Park. And it's the Cheeseman Park neighborhood. And about 40, 50 years ago, it was sort of the gayborhood hot hangout. So the kind of the gay neighborhood park. It was a cruising park. And the police would harass and arrest LGBTQ individuals like net cruising the park. And so... They, some of them came together. They started having little support groups, support meetings, oftentimes in some of the apartments or housing nearby, but it was 45 years ago. And so oftentimes they would be kicked out of the apartments and things like that. It was possible to just end leases for people who were not morally respectable for whatever reason. Eventually, we had a building off of Broadway in Denver, and that's where... Some of our programming, like our library, got started. So we have a public library, a free library that folks can come and, and visit and browse. It's where our Sage of the Rocky Mountains program started. So Sage of the Rocky Mountains is part of a larger national sage program, which serves community members 50 and better. So there's a lot of like, we do friendly visitor programs to help people who are aging in place. We have coffees and salons and things like that for folks who are retiring and don't have otherwise daytime activities to that they're engaged in and things like that. We've done in-person previously, we've done even things like trainings for tablets to get folks up to speed on some of this new technology through the Sage of the Rocky Mountains program. The when we were on Broadway, also Rainbow Alley, which serves our youth community members ages 11 and 21, started. It's a drop-in space, an afternoon drop-in space uh, for folks to come and hang out. They have some support programs, but mostly it's about like having uh, peers together, right, and being able to share and, and support one another in that way. In 2009, we did a capital campaign, and raise some money to actually buy the building that we're in now. And so we moved into this building in 2010. And it's kind of our, we're very grateful to have this space, especially as the rental expenses in Denver go up, as they are probably in every place at this point, right? So it's helped stabilize that. And because of that, we're able to maintain our staffing through the pandemic and all of that at this location, my program was started, which is the Transgender Services. And so I do resource referrals for trans folks. Primarily for the Denver metro area, I'm always looking for more resources in the Colorado area in general, because I do get folks all across the state. And for anybody that's not familiar with states west of the Mississippi, right, states are very large. So I've got folks that I'm serving on the other side of the mountain range and the Western slope and all of that. I do trainings, go out and talk to organizations. I do a lot of trainings with healthcare organizations around how to be more supportive around transgender and gender diverse experiences. And I do, I sit on a number of like boards and sort of advisory councils in the community to sort of give a voice around what it is the LGBTQ community needs and sort of, these organizations and services. And in addition to those programs, we also have uh, Range Consulting, which is specifically geared towards working with businesses around making their businesses more LGBTQ inclusive. So there's trainings and all of that stuff that we also do here as part of the centers.
0: So I feel like I just got like a Denver history lesson, among other things, <laughs> which was amazing because I am that history nerd who will be like, yes, I needed to know that. But also everything that you said was so grounded in community, right, and supporting the community. And that was what was so powerful to me about your role at the center and what how the center really is that for the community. And I know even when we started, you know, this recording, you were giving us some amazing names of, you know, organizations to go to and who they serve. And I would love to know what else, what other organizations do you think that if, you know, be it, I know Colorado's a large state, you know, if you know anything, even nationally that you think our listeners, you know, can also support, I'd love to hear it.
2: I think some really good organizations to look at on the national level, right, uh, is PFLAG, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. They've since obviously expanded their mission greatly, and one of their local Denver sort of affiliate has worked with organizations with other sort of parents around providing support groups and services for parents. Of, really of younger kiddos, really, that 4 to 10 age range. And so PFLAG is a really good organization. There's the National Center for Transgender Equality. I reference their materials a lot in terms of looking up what different states and what the federal requirements are around name changes, gender changes, and other identity document changes. They're very up-to-date on keeping their information on their website current, and so it's a really useful resource. HRC has made a lot of progress around trans inclusion, and I really, I they're another organization I reference frequently when I get calls and contacts for just general material and information. For folks that are working with students and youth, there's the Trans Student Educational Resources, or TSER. They have a super cute infographic called the Gender Unicorn, which I adore because the purple unicorn. And it really sort of breaks down these ideas of gender identity, gender expression, body, romantic attraction, sexual attraction on each their own separate section and kind of highlights the intricacies and the Intersections that we all have around these pieces of identity. Those are just a few, of sort of the national organizations that come to mind. For folks in the Denver metro area, definitely connect with One Colorado, which is does more legislative and policy work around LGBTQ inclusion in Colorado. And in Denver, I've got to also got to give a shout out to the Dolores Project. They are uh, a program. They are they serve. Houseless individuals, uh, they started out as a women's shelter and a women's emergency shelter and have made a lot of dedicated effort to look at their mission and look at the ways that their organization is structured and be intentionally trans-inclusive, right? So beyond just, oh, yes, we serve trans folks, they really, when I came into this position, they really they connected with me a lot around some of the, the work that they were doing. And I'm really grateful to have them in this, in the city.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I wanted to circle back to this idea of, cause I love the Denver focus. I feel so much more grounded in understanding the other orgs because I also, what I heard was how interconnected everybody is in supporting the people they want to serve. Right. There's like a more holistic view. And I wondered, you know, for people who are listening from other cities and other States, How do they go about finding, and you name the nationwide, you know, organizations that they can learn from and donate money to, but if we're coming back to this idea of tangible clothing donations to help LGBTQIA individuals, what do they Google search to find like their city's equivalent of the center? And then what kind of questions, you know, say they call you up, say they Google, they get a number, what are good questions and what are bad questions for them to ask to see if there's such a thing as a clothing drive?
2: Yeah, so I think Googling your city like an LGBTQ center or transgender center plus your city, transgender support plus your city or your state will sometimes pull that up. Folks can email me and I don't mind doing a little extra search to see what I can find. There's also see this is I have all these pieces and I forget about all the little pieces. There's also an organization called Centerlink. So if you do a, a search for Centerlink LGBTQ, they have maps and listings for LGBTQ centers across the United States. So that would be a good place to check as well. And then in terms of when you're calling, I think checking to see, just asking, do you all accept clothing donations? That's We get calls periodically. And when I'm able to, we're like, yeah, we'll bring them in. And for our organization. So I think just being simply asking, do you accept clothing donations? Or do you know of any LGBTQ focused organizations that are doing a clothing drive or accepting clothing donations? I think it's just the most direct way to phrase that.
1: Cool. Thank you. You know, I don't even know exactly the question, but you had mentioned the intersectionalities that you'd studied. And we tend to be fairly focused on race on our show.
2: Which we need to be, right? When we look around the society, everything that we've got going on, yeah.
1: In your experience, you know, with the position that you're in right now, what have you noticed about the intersectionality of race and gender identity?
2: Right. So, you know, when I think about, I can go on for hours on this topic. So when I think about the way gender identity is constructed or the expectations, right? Like what does gender mean? and roles and all of that, I think it's really important to look at that it's a cultural construct and that it is biased, right, to the dominant paradigm. And so when we look at gender today in Western culture, it is very much has its origins in very sort of limited Western, almost post-Renaissance, right, period of European, almost internalized colonization around what gender meant and what, who was allowed to perform what type of labor roles and this regulation that filled out from that, that was often done through violence, right? And then from there, right, settler colonialism pushed that out to the rest of the world. Because when we look at gender in other cultures and with other people, we see a lot more diversity in the way people understand and relate to gender throughout the world in, with indigenous populations of North America. Many of the different indigenous peoples had different structures for gender, and not even they all had the same structures. We look at places like India in the Tejra, which are a third gender there which the British Raj attempted to regulate and eliminate them as an identity. And so we've seen that replicate over and over and over. And when we look at when we think about so much and collectively, right, not individually, but collectively, when society talks about gender, right, it is very white, it is very upper class, it is very so wealth whiteness, ability, so ability status, right? All of these things go into sort of expectations of what is often put on people around gender. And so people who already transgress these gendered norms, so they're already struggling against that. And then when we have people who are not part of that dominant racial identity group, so people of color, Black women, Black men, They are ready, right, so even cisgender, so people, cisgender meaning on the same side of, so people who who do not identify as transgender, so even cisgender people of color are often already struggling under a white dominant ideology of gender, and often even get their genders questioned and the validity of their gender, and then we see that spill out even further, when we have folks who have that intersection of queer identity or gender transgressive identities or trans identities or gender diverse identities, plus being people of color, right? So they're on those extra levels of scrutiny and oftentimes targeted for both interpersonal violence and state violence. I'm not sure what else to say about that other than it's very frustrating, And um, but it's been nice to see a lot of trans folks of color, especially black trans women, step up and be out there and be a voice of leadership and guidance on a lot of what we need. Because I'm really taken back to one of my early readings around right, uh, the pedagogy of the oppressed and the in- importance of listening to those who are most marginalized in our society about the needs that we need to, to address.
1: I totally appreciate that. It takes me back to that conversation we had with Nicole Parker and Jamie Jara around all of this as well. And that's where we had spoken about flag in an earlier episode as well. So I'm glad that that came up. But this idea of when you just said, listen to the most oppressed to hear what they need. And I think that's where part of this conversation started, right? It's like, let's listen. And that's why we wanted to ask, would it be helpful if when people are clearing out their clothing, it's such a simple thing. I wanted to make sure, does this make sense? For us to say, look for the organizations in your town Mm -hmm. that can support a more marginalized population than one that you might just default to, you know, to donating to. So I really appreciate your time.
2: Definitely. Definitely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like, what else have we not talked about that you think are important to discuss with an audience of, you know, it's a mixed audience of all sorts. Mm -hmm.
2: You have a very widespread audience, right? And the topics that you, I really appreciate. I think that reiterating sometimes the need to be gentle with ourselves when we make mistakes, right? Like honor, right? When if we've stepped on somebody's toes and they're like, hey, my toes just got stepped on, but also be kind to ourselves because we all do that, right? We all make these mistakes. And when we get wrapped up in our head about, self-judgment and self-recrimination. It keeps us from making the human connections that we need to make to just be better human beings, right? So I think that's a lot of it. Um, Yeah, and we're coming out from a tough time, so (laughs) it's okay for folks to be tired too.
1: It is. What do you see going forward this next year? Some of your goals and challenges that you might see coming up?
2: Oh, so, right, we're really testing out the dynamics of both in-person and online and seeing where that balance is. So we've got some programs that are testing, trying to do like a hybrid, online, in-person. I've been doing sort of a switching back and forth because our community members have definitely been needing some in-person face-to-face time. But we have a lot of folks who are still concerned about things like the Delta variant out there and who are apprehensive coming back in person. So I think we're going to continue to support a lot of these online endeavors, our online support groups. We are, as an organization, we're taking a deeper look at racial equity within our organization and how we can embody our ideals towards racial justice and racial equity within the structures of our organization as well. On the national level, uh, I'm trying not to be Cassandra too much, but on the positive things, I think that we're going to see pushback against these states that have enacted very clearly anti-transgender legislation. And it'll take time, but I think we'll start to see similar victories that we've seen in terms of like restroom access and stuff like that. We it's kind of pushing forward. I think we've reached a stage in our society where whether they people agree with the being transgender or not, whether or not they have personal religious feelings, I think there's a recognition that we are here, that we are here to stay, that is a part of human experience. And we either need to sort of get over ourselves and just sort of move on and embrace everybody for who they are. We're just going to have these arguments back and forth. So, I think I'm seeing a lot of really positive movement around inclusion and acceptance of trans folks in society in general. So, it's definitely come a long way since I came out. So,
1: that's good. What are you know, there's no such thing as like a tip sheet do these 10 things, and you cisgender people are fantastic. But, like, if you were to offer some. Thoughts on, like, sincerely, people who want to support cisgendered people who want to support the transgender community because you know, I love this idea of the community supporting itself, but what can other people do too?
2: The number one thing that I offer up with folks is when you're introducing yourself, share your pronouns, right? Like, and I get it, I sometimes get so quick in my head, I'm so wrapped up in my head, and I'm already. A hundred sentences ahead and I may forget that, but then if I do sort of like step in and my pronouns are she, hers, right? So, but that act, that sharing of your pronouns basically opens it up for other folks to be able to share their own pronouns too. So checking in, right? If you're not sure of somebody's pronouns, just checking in what pronouns would you like us to use? If you're in a position which requires information around a person's identification related name, right? So anything, their legal names or legal gender stuff. If you're in a position where you collect that information, if you can also add in an option of, well, what name would you like us to use for you? What pronouns would you like us to use? I point out that we all know the person who's named after a relative they don't like. Right. So, so checking in with everybody, well, what name should we use? What pronouns should we use? Right. Make sure that nobody is overlooked and it doesn't single anybody out. Right. So that's, it's kind of a habit. It's a skill set. It feels really awkward the first hundred times, but after a while you get used to it. Another thing that I do, it's a real easy thing is including pronouns in your signature, right? So any of the information about Your work, your position, all of that. If you just want to also include your pronouns, it kind of gives the people a little update about who you are and and also, again, shows that it opens that door up to that discussion. If you make a mistake, just apologize and work on being better. And also not letting other people slip if they make mistakes and are continuously making them. I think we've seen a movement towards this concept of calling in, right? Rather than having the out front in everybody's face, like discussion. So taking somebody aside and ask, Hey, do you want to go grab a coffee? Hey, let's go. Let's getting them away right from everybody else. And just checking, were you aware that that person's pronouns are da, 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 or that person actually likes to go by that name and having that one-on-one conversation doesn't helps mitigate the need to, Put up all the defensive shields when we're in front of people, right? We see it online, you see it in person. Like when we're in front of people, we kind of perform, right? So that calling in and having a more gentle conversation, a more supportive conversation, I think is really good for everybody.
0: Those were so simple yet so powerful, and I love that because you know, I Sarah, I can't remember if we were talking about this, but I was filling out my kids' school forms and there's a choice for pronouns and what name they'd like to be called. And so my kids were with me and they're sort of in lower elementary or middle elementary. So we were able to have a discussion about pronouns, you know, and all of that in a way that I wouldn't have had the same opening maybe if, you know, we weren't standing right there and they were like, well, why are they asking for pronouns? And so, and it was great. And, you know, they're young and this is just completely natural to them to be using pronouns. And that gives me hope too. So I love that you were able to share just those things that seem small, maybe for some of us, but have a huge impact in how we talk to and about each other.
2: Thank you to talk a lot about the ripple effect, like the impacts these small actions can have on the greater whole. I love that you mentioned having this conversation with your kiddos, right? So You know, I'm connected with teachers and they talk about their relationships. And some, it's really amazing because even in in middle school, right, we're seeing these gay straight alliances and we're seeing these middle school youth making the effort to be out front talking about their pronouns, talking and being in support of their peers. It's this beautiful thing to see going on. In the world around us and just this general acceptance of, you know, people are just who they are. And I think everybody just in the end wants to have a nice life with people that they care about and who care about them and do work that's fulfilling and live in nice neighborhoods that are made up of people that they like hanging out with. So I think we all in the same want the same thing.
1: No, I think that's true. And it's, I'm glad you pointed that out about kiddos, because, you know, my husband and I were talking about it. Our middle schooler has friends who've come like knows kids. It's a very regular part of the conversation. It's interesting to see them navigate when they notice that someone's more resistant to certain identities or not, but they're having these conversations. And so I think for the parents who are like, oh, they're too young. I don't think they are. So I think it's powerful to have our, give our kids the gift of fluency in these conversations by starting when they're young enough to understand because they all refer to themselves as some pronoun or another usually anyway. So we might as well just have that conversation. Well, thank you. I love that you knew that we talk about the little things. Thank you so much for knowing us. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was
2: kind of glancing over your, over your website. It's super adorable. I like your, I love your podcast. It's great.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Where can people find you or, you know, and we'll definitely link to the show notes, but can you just give us a quick thing of, if people have questions for you, where can they find you? So
2: our website is org. You can email me directly. It's my first initial last name. So that is H U L T Z. At lgbtqcolorado.org. They can also call me, uh, my direct line 303-951-5217. Those would be my main contact points.
1: I really appreciate you sharing that. You know so much. You are so graceful to share with us. I really appreciate your willingness to come on and talk about all of these things with us. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. You're still here learning how to uproot systemic racism one conversation at a time. Our fresh news, we have a brand new book that's available for pre-order. So find us on bookshop.org at Dear White Women and order. And then make sure you follow the Dear White Women podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts so you can keep getting the newest episodes each Wednesday. And don't forget to rate and review us as you share our show with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at Dear What Women Podcast and Twitter at DWW Podcast. And if you love us, support our Patreon or look for ways you can bring us into your place of employment or circle of influence for a talk or ask us about our webinars and consulting work. Thanks for being here.